With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into the Talk of Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined as I am twice weekly by the senior recruiting analyst at BamaOnline.com. That would be Travis Ryer, longtime friend and colleague. The Talking Tide Twitter feed is talking underscore tide. You can get our podcasts at our web host at megaphone.com. Also, all the podcasting apps, including Apple Podcasts, also live right now on Facebook and YouTube. We're everywhere here on Talking Tide. Want to thank our sponsors really quickly, starting with Peterbrook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, also North River Dental Associates, and finally DraftKings, our corporate sponsor. We'll tell you a little bit more about them later in the program, though. Travis, we jump in, though, to a wild and successful for Alabama. SEC championship game win, 41-24, to the final score. It vaults Alabama not only into the CFP, but into the number one seed uh, after dispatching the previous number one Bulldogs. Georgia uh, remains in the CFP. We'll get into those matchups maybe on the back end of things. But first on the game, Travis, uh, a phenomenal performance by Bryce Young. He was the star of the show. It kind of it starts and finishes with the Crimson Tide quarterback. Really does. And just when you were starting to wonder what Alabama's down 10 nothing there in the second quarter, here comes some more of that lightning in the form of Bryce Young to Jamison Williams. And, you know, Bryce threw for 248 in the second quarter alone to sort of put that 24 to nothing run there uh, in the second quarter into perspective. But, you know, he did it with his arm. He did it with his legs, too. Uh, had the touchdown run there in the second quarter. Had the hellacious little option flip on the one run that was another one of those sort of Heisman moments. And, you know, for all the throws he made in the game, I thought the touchdown pass to Mechie might have been the most pro throw he made because that was anticipation, that was velocity, and that was ball placement. And I know we're going to get to John Mechie too, but just a tough situation first and foremost for him. Uh, But then certainly looking at this offense going into the college football playoff when you're down a 1A, 1B type situation at the wide receiver spots. Jamison Williams has been All-American good. But especially over the second half of the season, John Mechie's been really good in his own right. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, uh, losing Mechie definitely going to hurt Alabama. Reminds you a little bit, I guess, of the Landon Dickerson injury, right? Last year, also in the SEC championship game and a big blow for the Crimson Tide offense. Uh, we'll definitely get into that impact uh, a little further down in the podcast. Alabama, though, a rocky offensive start, easily lost in a big 41-point performance where uh, Young throws for an SEC championship game record, 421 yards, and uh, they really end up lighting it up uh, by game's end. Scoreless first quarter, so uh, sluggish at the outset. But then Bryce Young just kind of caught fire, Travis, and 
And the pass protection by Alabama's offensive line was so vastly better than it was in the Iron Bowl. Young was the star. Young was the show. But 1B on the list has to be the way Alabama's OL protected Young against this Georgia pass rush. Yeah, if Young was the star, Alabama's offensive line was the story. Because absolutely, after just being porous against Auburn the previous week, uh, to come back and hold this Georgia defense, which came in averaging three sacks per game in SEC play, to no sacks um, was phenomenal. Seth McLaughlin, uh, something to do with that young player must have had something to do with the secret sauce uh, and what we saw. And I think even in the second half, though, against Auburn, it was better. Had to be better than what it was in the first half, right? right? But you did see some improvement with McLaughlin in there, identifying fronts, maybe making some checks and calls. Uh, and then Chris Owens. So let's give that guy some some kudos as well. Uh, he's been sort of a uh, easy target throughout the season. Um, you know, and and I think schematically, you heard Nick Saban post game talk a little bit too that you know maybe they didn't try to get as many guys out into the route on a consistent basis. Maybe there was more six, seven man protections uh, than what we had seen during the earlier stages of the season. No doubt, uh, we saw. You know, there was one big play where Trey Sanders got a phenomenal chip block on the on the uh, right edge, I think. of the Jalen Carter. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so definitely a little bit more people staying home. Uh, Chris Owens, though, uh, played as well as he's played all season at right tackle, did a, a really nice job. And and, uh, you know, I thought Brian Robinson, as long as we're, we'll stick to the offense, he gutted it out. I don't think Robinson was anywhere near 100%. He was strong, but he wasn't quite as as explosive as as we've seen him for most of the season. And you know his performance, I think, uh, deserves. Even though he wasn't, you know, he didn't go off for a big hundred yard game or anything. He made some big plays for Alabama, and I think gutted it out at significantly less than 100%, at least to my eye. Yeah, you know, with Brian Robinson. If there was a silver lining in his injury, he's not the type of back that's a big, you know, make you miss sort of guy. He's a one cut and get downhill. Mm -hmm. So maybe that helped. Uh, but I agree. I don't think he was certainly 100%. But then when you look at the numbers for the game and understanding Georgia is more of a by committee approach, especially with the depth that the dogs have at running back, Brian Robinson had more scrimmage yards in the game than any running back for either team. So 71 scrimmage yards after what we had sort of sensed coming from the Alabama camp throughout the week, uh, that felt like 171 scrimmage yards given that situation. And, you know, even if he was just going to be able to give you some help and pass protection, that was going to have incredible value because you pretty much figured that, yeah, it would be great to get something in terms of scrimmage yards, rushing yards, those type of things from Brian. If he could just, pick up Nicobe Dean and, you know, pick up uh, Channing, uh, I forget his last name now, the linebacker Tindall. number 40 at Tyndall. You know, if he could help in those areas, that would have immense value in and of itself. It did. And I thought he pass protected well also. So he, he made some big contributions. There's no doubt about it. And, and downfield, uh, Alabama broke open for some wide open plays. Now, 
the 55 yard touchdown pass to Jamison Williams, uh, that that one was actually a little dicey because the Georgia DB got a hand in there right when that ball was caught. And I thought for a minute they might be able to pull it out or knock it loose. Uh, Williams was able to hang on for it. But there were a couple other plays where Williams uh, was coming over the middle absolutely wide open. It, it, it looked like Alabama's secondary against Tennessee a couple times. Yeah, I think Alabama went into the game feeling like if we can just get this protected, we don't have to put four guys out in the route. You know, Jamison Williams, John Mechie, you know, if we send two or three out and we protect, we're still going to get those guys open. And if we get some double moves working against these Georgia safeties, if they're even, they're leaving. And that was the case with Jamison Williams on that 55-yarder. I think Bryce just figured based on film study and preparation, you know, if this is the look we get and the corner's kind of in carry mode on the deep ball, Go ahead and take that shot if it's going to be up to one of these Georgia safeties to make a play. And, you know, a lot of confidence in Jamison Williams, but why wouldn't you have that in that in that guy at this point? And, um, yeah, I mean, Bryce just played again with that calmness and confidence that, you know, this is still a second-year guy. He's still a true sophomore. I know we're at the end of that season, but, you know, something we had talked about throughout the season too, Chase, you know, the possibility for a couple of true sophomores to be permanent team captains. Well, that happened on Sunday night. Alabama had the team banquet, and, you know, I know we'll talk about Will Anderson a little bit later, but captain on defense, true sophomore. One of the captains on offense, uh, true sophomore. Those guys have pretty much led the way. Tell you what else happened is the Heisman Trophy was won against, <laughs> against Georgia. Now, by the time we podcast again after this particular show, uh, the, it's a good chance that, that that award will have already been handed out. But you can, between the Iron Bowl and that 97-yard drive at the end of regulation, which was a season saver, and the performance against Georgia, which came into the game having given up 6.9 points per game on the season, and Bryce Young leads a 24-point explosion in the second quarter, scored more points in the second quarter against Georgia, Travis, than, than the Bulldogs gave up in September. Just to give you a yeah. little bit of perspective, uh, Bryce Young is is as as much of a runaway favorite for the Heisman Trophy at this point as, as I can recall in a few years. And now some years, it's a no-brainer, not every year. Can't recall the last one that was a total no-brainer, but this is that kind of year. It should be. You know, uh, I know that the Heisman voters have until 5 Eastern on Monday afternoon to get those votes in. They should have been able to get them in by midnight on Saturday night. It should have been pretty easy after what we saw from Bryce. But, uh, you know, it's interesting, too, because, you know, what, three Heisman Trophy winners for Alabama since 2009. But that's that's it for the extent of the program history. And none of these guys have been quarterbacks. So. You look at that list of former Alabama quarterbacks that don't have that honor um, on their credentials, uh, and for Bryce to be the first, that just says a lot about the year he's had. No question about it. All right, Travis, we'll talk a little bit about the Alabama defense now. Start with Will Anderson. He comes up uh, with another nice game, as expected. The secondary, I thought, played really well as well. Uh, DeMarco Helms comes up with a big interception for Alabama, and, of course, Jordan Battle 
with a pick six late in the game, a huge difference maker as well. Really was. I thought the safety play was the highlight back there with Helms in battle. And it got off to a little bit of a tough start. First play of the game, James Cook gives battle a stiff arm, gets the corner, hits a bit of a chunk play. And at the end of it, DeMarco Helms with the late hit out of bounds. So those two guys on the first play from scrimmage, uh, not the best of starts, but from there, they were just tremendous. You said it, Helms with an interception, battle with the pick six, where it was still pretty tenuous at that point. It was a two-touchdown lead for Alabama, but Alabama's offense wasn't really helping the defense. They weren't sustaining drives there for a stretch and kind of eating some clock and taking up some snaps. So battles, just his takeaway was huge. But then to score off of it, give Alabama a 21-point lead. And look, Helms had a big pass breakup, too, on the the throw to Bowers there in the back of the end zone where you had, I think, Branch. No, Daniel Wright underneath running with Bowers. And then Helms came over last second and got that ball out. Next play, battle gets pressure on Stetson Bennett on the fourth down play, makes him just sort of throw it up. So, yeah, I start with the safety play. Those guys were really good. I thought Brian Branch competed his ass off. You know, I know he had a pass interference call. I know he gave up a couple of catches to Brock Bowers, but Bowers is the real deal. And, you know, Branch still ended up with a couple of pass breakups. And um, the secondary in general was was good. Corners, uh, a little penalty heavy uh, for Kool-Aid, a couple of those. And, um, you know, also you had a hold on Josh Joe, but, you know, Stetson Bennett came into this game averaging like 10.8 yards per attempt. And to hold him around seven, uh, that's a good job. Bowers was unbelievable. He he yeah. he he was the Georgia offense uh, pretty much in the second half, and and you kind of felt like every time Bowers made a play and Georgia got back in it, you, there was a response on the other end uh, from the Alabama offense. But Bowers was a lot to handle. It's the second year in a row that a tight end has lit up Alabama's defense pretty good. I guess Kyle Pitts uh, had a heck of a game, probably not as many catches as Bowers, but still made a pretty big impact for uh, the Gators in the SEC championship game against Alabama last year. But uh, Bowers has got quite a future in front of him, Travis. No doubt about it. It's just not, and I know it's a new era of tight ends, but you still don't see offenses feature tight ends like number one receivers like Mm -hmm. Alabama with John Mechie or Jamison Williams. And that's essentially in the second half. That's what Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator for Georgia said was that we're going to our guy and we're going to line him up in some different places. You know, I thought the Alabama pass rush was a little bit inconsistent too. So, you know, I cut some of the, the defensive back play, uh, a little bit of slack. Um, Alabama did end with three sacks, so that looked better certainly than than Georgia's production. But um, no, it was it was tough with Bowers. Uh, just again, the real deal. George Pickens, you know, got Kool Aid for I guess thirty seven yards early in the game. That's one deep ball. That's Pickens' game. I mean, mm-hmm. he runs the go route, and it's either going to be a jump ball or a back shoulder situation. And uh, he got one of those. But I think as far as the other guys, Alabama did a pretty good job on that. Yeah, the pass rush was interesting. Will Anderson with a sack, although it came so late, the game was pretty much in the books by the time that came around. Gave him 
15 and a half sacks now for the season. Will Anderson, 32 and a half tackles for loss for the year. Travis, that's just, it's just unreal. Uh, we talk about him every week. He's good for a sack a week, basically, or, or more. And uh, he came up with a late one. Dallas Turner came up with another sack in this game, Travis. And Dallas Turner, uh, you know, when you look back at where Alabama was at that other outside linebacker position at the end of, at the beginning of the season with Christopher Allen and that injury and how they had to kind of uh, move around with Drew Sanders, you know, working Braswell in there, Dallas Turner, et cetera. Turner's come along as a pass rusher. He's not as disciplined as Anderson. Sometimes it looks like to me that Dallas Turner kind of runs himself out of position at times, but he's very athletic and he can get after the quarterback too. He's, he's dangerous on third and long as well. Yeah. He, um, you know, had a big sack there in the first quarter to force that Georgia field goal. That was a third down sack. So that was a big one early in the game. And for a while, it's kind of what Alabama sat with in terms of sack production until later in the second half. But, yeah, Will Anderson in his last seven games, 12 and a half sacks. That'll work. And Unreal. so, yeah, the numbers are sort of mind-boggling. And, you know, Turner's done a nice job. You also saw some of Chris Braswell a little bit in the game, uh, a little bit of Drew Sanders in the game as well. So, you know, kind of a silver lining in that injury to Christopher Allen, which this isn't to say they're better off without Christopher Allen because I don't think they are. I think if you had had a full season of number four opposite Will Anderson, uh, he would have had a huge season in his own right. But, you know, you've been able to bring along guys like Turner, guys like Sanders, and and they've come up big for you in some big spots, both early in the season and later. Getting back to John Mechie now, Travis. Uh, sounds like he's done. Sounds like a knee injury there where that he won't be able to come back from. He's been a key guy for this offense all season long, especially in the second half of the season. Uh, it seems like Williams has been the, the, more the explosive big play guy, and Mechie's been the guy that's been maybe a little bit more of of Bryce Young's target on third down. You know, when you when you need just a, a big possession catch, and you know, removing him from this offense is is definitely going to be a blow. I know Jacory Brooks has seen. Uh, some action here of late, um, but that's that's going to be a, a tough, if not impossible, replacement. The only good news that I can think of is that you got some time now between the SEC championship game and the semifinal against Cincinnati and uh, the Cotton Bowl, so an opportunity to really give the reps to Ja'Cory Brooks, Treshawn Holden, and give Slate Bolton some credit, man. Five catches, 54 yards against Georgia on Saturday night. Third and five play in the fourth quarter. Alabama backed up pretty good. Really needed a first down at that point. And Bolden delivers with a 24-yard catch. And so you got some guys, obviously, at the tight end position that can certainly give you more. Jalil Billingsley, Cam Latou, they were fine against Georgia. I think three catches combined for 40 yards. Um but without Mechie, especially like you said, third down, red zone, you know, these type of things, so much volume for John Mechie during this season. Uh, you're probably going to have to break that up over a couple of three guys. All right. No question about it. All right. The Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network rolls on. We're going to thank a couple of sponsors here on the program. We're going to start 
by telling you all about North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley, conveniently located over at 1100 Fairfax Park, right off of Watermelon Road. Your dentistry needs, your family's dentistry needs, get it done at North River Dental. They got endodontics, cosmetic dentistry, pediatric dentistry for the kids, laser dentistry, porcelain veneers, those teeth whitening services, always popular, and as well, Botox and Juvederm treatments for those facial features going on over at North River Dentist Associates. They're going to get you in and out of the building typically in less than an hour on routine cleanings, and they are excellent when it comes to dealing with the insurance folks. The phone number is 752-3506, or go online, make an appointment at northriverdentist.com. Going to tell you about Peterbrook Chocolatier out there in the Indian Hill section of Titletown, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Woo, you know what I had just before we went on the air here, Good Bread? I had some of that peppermint bark. It is officially peppermint bark season. Of course, you can still get those great hand-dipped chocolate strawberries as well, the signature item, the chocolate-covered popcorn. Not going to go wrong with any of those, but, uh, and again, an extended football season, so the Roll Tide treats are sensible as well. But that peppermint bark, that was the go-to on a Sunday fun day. And uh, really look forward to that on an annual basis. And probably Dr. Jack Smalley does too when I get into that peppermint bark. But it's worth it. It's absolutely worth it. I've had it. It is absolutely outstanding uh, around the holidays. It disappears fast. You know, it, just, it doesn't ever. <laughs> it's so it, addictive, man. You just. It never makes it onto the shelf or into the well, fridge. Well, you're a white chocolate guy anyway. You're a white chocolate guy. You like I, white chocolate. I do. I do. Although I've come around a little bit. I'm still not a dark guy like you. Come but on I'm prob- over to the, come on I, over I, the dark side. I've come, I'm halfway there. I've come to milk, right? I'm okay. at the milk chocolate. Right. I'm there. Uh, starting to leave the white chocolate behind actually a little bit, yeah. but the milk chocolate's yeah. on point. I never have been a dark guy. I know that's your thing. Love it. Well, I really got into the dark chocolate once the wife opened Peter Brook chocolates here. And so, I hadn't had really good dark chocolate on a consistent basis. Well, I've consistently had dark chocolate now for <laughs> 15 years. It's consistent now. <laughs> I'm very consistent. Very consistent, if nothing else. Finally, going to tell you about our corporate sponsor. That would be DraftKings. Football fans, high-scoring NFL game. The latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the NFL. You'll be a winner as soon as a single point is scored. New customers who bet $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's just that simple. Download the sports, the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code you see on your screen for you YouTube viewers right there. TPPN, that's the Pigskin Podcast Network acronym. That is your promo code. You bet $1 on any team to score. If they do, you win $100 in free bets. You cannot beat that. If they score, you score with promo code TPPN this week at the DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of the National Football League. Travis, we, uh, I suppose we'll stick with the football theme for the moment, although I think probably for the first time in talking Tide history, we're going to touch on Alabama basketball on the back end of an SEC championship game <laughs> recap podcast. Because uh, how how can you not after uh, the the encore athletic performance on Saturday from 
the UA basketball team. But quickly, uh, your thoughts on other championship game action. Michigan obviously dropping quite a bomb on Iowa. Cincinnati gets it done against Houston to secure uh, the first group of five playoff berth ever. Uh, how did you see the rest of the day kind of shaking out about what you expected? Yeah, it started with an Oklahoma State loss that may or may not have benefited Alabama. We'll never know for sure because Alabama took care of business on its own in Atlanta. But yeah, given the way the games played out on Saturday, pretty much what you would have expected midday Sunday when we got the four teams and this year's CFP. So you know, Nick Saban said all that rat poison tasted yummy that the media and everyone was throwing out there in regards to Georgia taking care of Alabama. Well, he's about to be in the other side of that again. You talk about, what, three and a half weeks of rat poison about how Alabama ought to just handle Cincinnati, the G5 rep. It won't – yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it won't and, taste you know, so good. When, when, we'll circle back to the offensive line, I guess, because when Nick Saban made that comment, first thing I thought of was – was there's a lot of bulletin board material for that OL uh, <laughs> that they soaked up the whole practice week. And certainly performance-wise. External it, factor, it though, Chase. That stuff doesn't seep into <laughs> to walls at the Malmore yeah. Athletic Facility. External <laughs> factor, which I always get a laugh out of because you know this. It seemed like back in the day when we used to actually go out the media viewing periods before COVID, if it was an opponent that week, that had beaten Alabama the year before, there was a chance you would see the previous year's game on all the screens, like in the weight room and in the facility. But none of that stuff really means anything, you know. None of right. it. Yeah. Right. No, Nick, I think, pretty much let us know that. Uh, it depends yeah, it on does. how that rat poison tastes, And I look, guess. you know, whatever works for you. And uh, it obviously worked for Alabama Saturday night. The matchups for the CFP, of course, Alabama, the top seed. They'll be taking on those Cincinnati Bearcats. They are the number four seed. The other game, of course, Georgia versus Michigan. That will certainly be a fun one, Travis, and potentially uh, an SEC championship game rematch in the college football playoff final could be pending. Could be. Could be Alabama-Georgia. Could be for Kirby Smart, maybe what he's selling, I would – almost bet on this he's selling 2011 when he was a defensive coordinator at Alabama and Alabama lost in the regular season to LSU and Tuscaloosa but got that second shot in New Orleans and took care of business and you know Georgia still has that opportunity perhaps Michigan looks pretty good though I have to admit not a big um, not a big Jim Harbaugh fan but they've been extremely solid they're very strong in the run game and been a little bit dynamic as well but it starts with Cincinnati for Alabama and you know, I think we're Mechie's absence maybe even more so than in a potential national championship game matchup apparently and you would know this better than I with your ties to NFL.com and the draft but apparently Cincinnati's got a couple corners that can really go they do so um uh, you know, if, if Alabama can protect like it did against Georgia, it may not matter. Uh, but without Mechie, uh, I'm sure Cincinnati feels a little bit more confidence about being able to hang in with that Alabama offense. Yeah, one of those Cincinnati corners in particular is, is uh, could be a really high draft pick. So no question 
uh, that's covering receivers is one thing that that Cincinnati does best. And of course, uh, of course, they got an outstanding quarterback on the offensive side of the Ritter. ball as well. Yeah. We're going to be uh, heavily previewing Alabama Cincinnati uh, as the CFP approaches. But yeah, Nick Saban, as much as I'm sure he hates to do it, Travis, he's going to have to ship off that yummy tasting rat poison over to Athens, Georgia, because a lot, because what Kirby Smart's also going to be doing is he's going to be letting his team hear uh, all the criticism about how they got their butts whooped over in Atlanta for about three oh, yeah. weeks. So yeah, and he he wasn't shy about hitting on that post game that you know he had the luxury Georgia did of. Uh, getting a wake-up call in a conference championship game in a loss and still being able to play for everything. So we'll see. You know, we'll see how this Georgia team responds. All right, and finally, the Alabama basketball team taking on Gonzaga uh, in the uh, ESPN Invitational Tournament, I guess. Battle. Orlando, right? Uh, no, the Gonzaga game was the battle in Seattle. That's right. So, That's uh, right. Yeah, they had just wrapped up down there uh, in Orlando with that those three games. They went two and one, and then kind of had a week to get ready to go out the Pacific Northwest. And boy, what a performance by Alabama! That was a road game. We can talk about the game being in Seattle, but if you watch the broadcast, just All very clearly, eighteen thousand Gonzaga fans, pretty much uh, in Seattle, but. Almost a wire-to-wire job, too, man, for Alabama. Gonzaga's last lead in the game, Chase, 14-13 in the first half. Tells you how Alabama controlled this game. They did. Final score, 91-82. to And, you know, what I noticed, Travis, was every time, you know, Alabama would build a 10-point lead, 12-point lead. Gonzaga would get it cut to six. Alabama would bust it back out to 10. Gonzaga, Gonzaga would cut it again. At one point, Gonzaga, I think, had it cut to 74-70, 76-72 in the second half right around there. And then yeah. Alabama went on a big run to just absolutely put it away. Jaden Shackelford, though, Travis, 20 points at the half, finishes with 28. He, was, uh, he hit six three-pointers in the first half, one of them from way, way out. Uh, phenomenal performance for him. J.D. Davison, 20 points, and my guy, Charles Bediaco. How uh, many block shots? How many block shots for the footer? Six six block shots for Bediaco. those block shots. Uh, Notably, though, about that, he did it in only 22 minutes, right? Yeah. So for that many blocks, that's not a lot of minutes. He had eight rebounds and seven points. He plays for 35 minutes. Who knows, Travis? Maybe a triple-double. Uh, of sorts for uh, Betty Ako, but nice game for him and uh, Javon Quinterly, 17 points, six assists, uh, played better in the second half, did Quinterly than the first, but uh, a key factor for Alabama as well. Yeah, never a bad thing when you get 20 from J.D. Davison off the bench, and what I liked about that performance was that you're starting to see more and more that the scouting report on J.D. is that He's not a guy that you need to rush to close out from behind the three-point line. And so he knocked down four threes of his own. That's huge. If he's going to do that on even a semi-consistent basis, they're going to be even tougher to deal with. Um, And again, I I thought Alabama, from an officiating standpoint, uh, wasn't on the 
the gracious host end of that. You had a West Coast crew out there, and you look at the foul differential in the game, very much in favor of Gonzaga. You kind of expect that when you go on the road in that type of situation. But Gonzaga was a gracious host in that, didn't really take advantage of free throw opportunities, shot 13 to 25 from the line the Zags did. And that total would have been higher in terms of total free throws. They missed a lot of front ends. So that was a good thing for Alabama. And you're right, it was a Shackelford show. Andrew Nimhart, the guard for Gonzaga, he thought he had seen the last of these SEC guards for the most part. And then he got roasted by Shackelford and then scored just four points of his own in the game. Yeah, Drew Timmy, 23 points for Your boy. the Zags. Yeah. A lot of touch around the rim. Throwing elbows, throwing <laughs> elbows while he's backing in. You know, it was such a good bread post game for Timmy, you know. No question. Yeah. No question. Yeah. Old man, old man basketball. Yeah, it's Drew just... Timmy reminds me a lot of Christian Leitner, except he isn't half as good. How about that, Drew? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, but uh, big game for the Crimson Tide basketball program and NATO's as well. That's going to wrap things up, Travis, for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Stay with us. We're going to continue to uh, deliver some podcasts here in the month of December. We won't be going twice weekly uh, the rest of the month, obviously, because uh, the CFP is quite a distance off, but we will check in uh, here and there. Uh, keep an eye on that Twitter feed and elsewhere. We'll let you know uh, when we'll be broadcasting again. Uh, certainly, however, though, uh, we will be uh, back in earnest the week of the CFP to preview that Alabama-Cincinnati game. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com, I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. We'll talk to you next time on Talking Tide.